Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome again to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton and in this discussion today I want to talk about a misconception that's commonly believed among the American Christian church today and that is that God would never leave or forsake anyone no matter what they do. This question came up recently when I was in a meeting and the question went like this, does God ever cut anyone off and does he ever forsake anyone? Of course, referring to anyone who's a Christian, not just the lost world. This question was referring to a, a, a couple verses. One of them, the first one being in Second Timothy 2, where uh, Paul wrote this. He said, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also, he also will, will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So what did the Lord just say he would do if we endured? He said if we endured, of course, we would reign with him. That means we would be with him in eternity. What if we don't endure? What happens then? Of course, that's the other side of the coin. So what did the Lord also just say he would do if we denied him? Well, if we denied him, he said he would deny us. If he denies us, then where's that going to leave us? We're not going to be saved if he's denying us, of course. So even if we don't endure or we deny him, he said he would remain faithful to keep his promises. In other words, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Does that mean that we're going to be saved because we're faithless? Of course not. It just means that God is, he says he's going to remain faithful if we're faithless. So that just means he's going to be faithful to keep his word. Well, what did his word say? He said, well, if you endure, you'll be with him, which means if you don't endure, you won't be with him. If you deny him, he will deny you. That's what he's saying. He's going to be faithful to his word. He's going to keep his word. You know, even if we fail to keep our word, if we fail to be faithful to him, he's going to be faithful to his own word, which is to do what he said he's going to do. So the other verse that came up in this discussion, this question uh, that was raised about will God ever forsake you? I mean, because we've we've heard virtually every preacher in America say, well, God will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you do, if you're faithless, he's faithful. So what they're suggesting is you can just go out here and do anything you want to do. You can just rebel against God. You can commit adultery. You can be in porn. You can be a child molester. You can do whatever. And God is going to remain faithful and save you. That's what they're really suggesting, which is really not true. So this other verse is, uh, that, that they're referring to a lot of times is misquoted and mis misapplied is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and where he says, the writer says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, that particular verse is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 and verse 8, 
and also Joshua 1.5. And it's all referring to the time when Israel was fixing to go into the promised land and they were going to have to go to battle with their enemies. And it was pertaining to what Joshua was going to have to do when he led the people and led them into war. And so the promise was about that. In fact, in Deuteronomy 31.6, it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And in Joshua 1.5, it says basically the same thing. He says, no man, the Lord speaking to Joshua here, he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now that's a wonderful promise. And it was in the context of Joshua, who was a faithful man, who had been faithful to God all the time from the time they left Egypt till now they were in the promised land or were at the, at the, at the brink of the promised land. So he's, the Lord is saying, I will never leave you or forsake you because you're faithful to me. So question is, uh, was this promise conditional or was it unconditional? And see, in American Christianity today, we, there's so many things that are taken out of context in the Bible and they're treated like they're unconditional promises when all you have to do is just read a few more verses or read the rest of the chapter or whatever, and you would see that the promise is conditional. It's always conditional with the Lord. Even when he makes wonderful promises, they are conditional. So the question is, are there any exceptions to this statement that the Lord made to Joshua? Are there any exceptions to, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and so let's just read further and find out. And, and so I want to ask you this. What happened to Joshua and to Israel after they conquered Jericho, which was their first go around in the promised land with war? And then they had uh, the second go around with the little place called Ai. And they sent some tr- so They just sent a few uh, soldiers up there because it was going to be an easy thing to do. They didn't have to trouble everybody with even going. And all of a sudden, Israel got beat. 36 innocent men died and then Joshua fell on his face before the Lord like what happened here they just conquered Jericho and now they couldn't even deal with Ai and so what happened where was the Lord in all this where was the Lord he said he'd never leave them or forsake them and so here in Joshua chapter 7 here's what here's what the Lord said he said therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies They turn their backs before their enemies for they have become accursed. All of a sudden, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now they're accursed. And he said, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the man from your midst. So, so here's the, here's the uh, condition. The condition was that Israel would remain faithful to God and obey God and not take anything under the ban that God had said from Jericho, but someone did. And so all of a sudden now, this promise now is invalid. And the Lord said, I will not be with you anymore unless you deal with the things under the ban. So you see, look at this picture. Right after, I mean, just just a few chapters after God said, I will never leave or forsake you, And then right after that, Israel sinned. 
Achan took some things under the ban and hid them in his tent. And then right after the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then Israel sinned. Then the Lord said, I will not be with you anymore. After he just said, I'll never leave you. Now he says, I'll never be with you anymore. Unless you deal with the sin, of course. It's the same thing today. The Lord has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let us see what else the scripture says about this, this particular idea that he'll never leave you or forsake you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David is speaking to his son Solomon, and he said, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every intention of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So there's the condition again. If you seek him, he'll let you find him. If you forsake him, he will reject you. It's as simple as that. And also, in the Old Testament, we have another situation in Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1, where it says this. Now the Spirit of the Lord came on Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, now this is a prophet of the Lord speaking to King Asa, and he said, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you're with him. Now, this is such a basic, simple statement, but hardly anybody in American Christianity understands this today, that the Lord is only with you when you're with him. In other words, you've got to be with him before he's going to be with you. And he goes on to say, and if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So there we go. There's the principle. You know, it's in the Old Testament. Well, we're going to find out in a little bit if it's, to, if it's the same thing in the New Testament. Also, David in the Psalms wrote this. In Psalms 34, verse 15, he said, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And he says, The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. What if that evildoer, what if he's a fine Baptist deacon or pastor? but he's doing pornography, which is the case in America today that more than 50% of the pastors are doing pornography and 78% of the American men and going church-going men in America are doing pornography. That's evil doing. Not to mention all the other stuff that's going on that we don't even have time to go into today. So what's going to happen? The Lord, It says the Lord's face is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So that's a pretty serious statement. And also in the Old Testament, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 29, verse 20. He said, for the ruthless will come to an end and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. Well, I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, well, you know, you're using some Old Testament scriptures and you know, the Old Testament was nailed across with Jesus and we're not under the Old Testament, we're under grace. I said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll look in the New Testament and see if it's saying the same thing. So then I took him over to Romans, and this is what I shared with this gentleman. Romans, Paul speaking now to the church, and he says in Romans 11, verse 19, he says, you will say then, branches were broken off, broken off 
so that I might be grafted in. Now he's talking about in the, the concept of Israel who was the, who was broken off from the rich olive tree, which the rich olive tree, of course, is God and salvation and hope in the kingdom of God and all those kinds of things in Jesus Christ. So here's Israel now. They were broken off. It says that he says branches are broken off. So you might be grafted in quite right. They were broken off for, for their unbelief. You see, they didn't believe in Jesus and they didn't believe in God and they didn't obey God, even though they were real religious. But he says, but you stand by your faith. Do not be, be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So here we go. He's talking to Christians now. Behold then, Paul's now making a comparison. He said a contrast. He said, behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fail severity. But to you, God's kindness, that is, and here's the condition, if you continue in his kindness. In other words, you have his kindness if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And then he goes on in verse 23 and says, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, talking about Israel, Jews, the nation of Israel, of course, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And so here we go. Here's the, here's, it's in the New Testament. You can be in and you can be cut off or you can be cut off and be grafted back in through repentance. But the point is you have to abide in God. You can't just pray a prayer and ask Jesus in your heart and think that's all that's required of you. So to continue in God's kindness then, that is his salvation, we must continue to abide in him. Otherwise, we will be cut off. Now we're going back to the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 36 says this, and the uh, verse 15, and the Lord, the God of their father, sent word to them again and again by his messengers. And God has always been sending forth messengers to his people. He did it in Israel years ago. He's done it to the church today. There have been people who have stood up and spoken. Uh, and I, I don't think I'm anybody great, but people like me have said, look, there's something wrong with this religious system. We're, 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 uh, we're aiding and abetting sin in the church and we're doing nothing about it. And so he sent his messengers again and again because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Well, here's what happened though. Is happening today. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his own people until there was no remedy. Now, let me just tell you something. When there's no remedy, that means you're done. It's over with. There's no fixing this. When there's no remedy, you can't fix it. It's you know, it's like a car that's in such bad shape, there's just no resurrecting it. It's just a piece of junk. It's over with. It's dead. So this means there's no hope anymore. There's no solution to this person's life anymore because God is done. And in Proverbs 29, 1, it says basically the same thing. It says a man who hardens his neck after much reproof. In other words, the word of the Lord has come. The word of the Lord has said, repent. The, Lord, the word of the Lord has said, be holy. 
Turn from your sins. Give up your idolatry. Give up your love of the world. Give up your love of your denomination. Give up the love of, of your doctrines. But turn to God and be faithful to him and obey God. So after much reproof, he will suddenly be broken and beyond remedy. So here we go. Another situation where after much correction, much instruction, much warning, there comes a time when someone's going to be broken beyond remedy. In other words, God's done. So this is a very serious thing. And, th and so this again, these again are principles of God. These, these are, this is the heart of God. This is the way of God. Now, I'm going to go back again to Proverbs, the, the, you know, the book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter one, verse 23. The Lord said to his people, he said, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make, I will make my words known to you. But because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all of my counsel and you did not want any of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. And when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind and distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer, says the Lord. In other words, I'm done. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, he said, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel and they spurned all of my reproof. So let me ask you something, American Christian churchgoer. Did you ever hear a pastor give a sermon about this, about how that the Lord would actually mock at you and he would not answer you if you refused to listen to him over a period of time when he was trying to set you straight, when he was sending grace to you? Grace has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny all worldliness and all ungodliness and to live righteously and, and godly in this present age. Grace is instructing us to do what's right. And God has been sending that instruction for decades, for centuries, and men have not been listening. They just go to church on Sunday, sing a few songs, pay a little tithe, go home, and think they're okay. Well, you probably never heard a sermon like that. Paul the Apostle also wrote in the New Testament, now we're in the New Testament, in case you don't think the Old Testament means anything. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul wrote this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And I just want to make a little side note here. All power and signs and false wonders. Where in the world is all these so-called wondrous miracles taking place today? Is it not in the charismatic movement, all these false healings and false pastors and false preachers and false prophets saying all these things? But you know, I've watched this. It's such a sham. I'm not saying that God can't perform a miracle today, and I'm not saying he doesn't perform a miracle today, but I'm saying when you see men asking for money, being paid, putting on a big show on TV or whatever to try to prove to you how powerful they are, it's the deception of wickedness. It's false signs and false wonders which were predicted come in the last days.
And along with that comes all this, it says here in verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the prosperity gospel is a lie. You see, what God is looking for is a changed heart. He's looking for humility. He's looking for good fruit. He's looking for walk of love. He's looking for repentance of sin. He's looking for godliness. He's looking for holiness. That's what he's looking for. That's what the gospel is calling us for. It's not all about physical stuff and money and healings and miracles. You know, even says that it's a perverted generation that seeks after signs and wonders. And that's what we have today. A perverted generation seeking after signs and wonders rather than seeking after God. I'm not saying there's not any healings going on. Satan has all power to do all kinds of things. Satan can heal. Satan can perform miracles. If you remember, when Moses went down to Egypt, even the the sorcerers down there could throw their staffs down and turn them into a serpent. Or they could even have frogs come up out of out of the of the water and, and cover the land. They could do a lot of things that Moses could do. They could turn some water into blood too. So there are miracles that can be done by the false powers of darkness and Satan. So don't be fooled to think that all miracles are just from God because you got to look to make sure there's holiness along with it. Make sure there's repentance and righteousness and a call to God, a call to his will, not just something for the flesh. So anyway, reading further. Verse 11, this is what I want you to hear. For this reason, because of things like I just said, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Did you hear that? It's God who will send upon them a deluding influence. What is the deluding influence? It's Satan. It's the demons. It's the lies. God sends the deluding influence upon those who didn't have the love of truth so as to be saved. He sent it to them because they refused to listen to his word and they followed these false prophets. And he did so in verse 12. He said, in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So here it is. If God sends the deluding influence, don't you think about this. If God sends the deluding influence causing someone to believe what is false, who's going to get them out of that? Who's going to get them out of that deception? If God has sealed them with that deception, he's sealed them for destruction. Who's going to get them undone from that? And let me just tell you something. Be careful that you're not following in the steps of those who are under the delusion, the false pastors, the false teachers. Be careful that you don't fall under their delusions. Listen to this. The greatest deception today in American Christianity is the idea, the concept of unconditional, of unconditional eternal security. Teachings, false teachings that say, once you're saved, you're always saved. Or false teachings that say, God is faithful, even if you're faithless. And you know, we covered that a minute ago. Or the false teachings that say, well, God will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what you do. See, that's not what it says. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you as long as you're faithful. And so, or false teachings that say, well, all you got to do to be saved is just ask Jesus into your heart. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible it ever said to ask Jesus into your heart. All over the Bible, it says, repent of your sins and turn to the Lord with a whole heart and obey him. You see, then there's false teachings that say, well, it's faith only. There's nothing you can do to be saved. 
Well, that's a lie because the first thing you have to do is to believe in him. The second thing you have to do is to obey him. The third thing you have to do is take up your cross and follow him and deny yourself. And I can go on and on. There's many things that are required of us. You have to bear fruit. If you're on the vine and you don't bear fruit, you get cut off. You have to you have to endure to the end. That's another thing. You have to endure to the end to be saved. So there are conditions of salvation that must be met. And there's several things that you must do. Yes, you can't do it without God, but God won't do your part and you can't do his part. So it's the two of you working together, but you must obey God and follow God and cooperate with God. And you must do so until the end of your life. So again, there's these deluding influences. Be sure you're not falling under any of them. Okay, Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 13, verse six, when he gave a parable. It says, and he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years, that's a period of time, that's long enough, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? In other words, what's this person doing in the body of Christ? What's this person doing in the church? My vineyard is my kingdom. Why is he here? He's not bearing any fruit. And he said, the vineyard keeper said to him, let him alone, sir. Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about we're being planted. We said we were going to follow the Lord. We said, Lord, forgive us of our sins. We said we're sin we were sincere in the beginning, maybe. And we turned to the Lord, maybe in the beginning. Who knows what was going on there? Felt bad about our life. Wanted a new chance. Wanted to start all over. Wanted to be born again. And so what we do, we come in. This is what happens in American Christianity today. People come in, they come into the so-called church system, they sit down in a pew, and then they have these false teachers tell them, well, once you're saved, you're always saved, or tell them that Jesus will never forsake you, or tell them that, you know, no matter what you do, the Lord oversees it, or somehow grace is covering all your sins. And so they even say that grace not only covers the sins of your past, but the sins you commit today and the sins you commit tomorrow, it's already covered. Jesus died on the cross and paid for all your sins. So there's nothing else you have to worry about. And so people get kind of relaxed and they think, oh, well, this is a pretty good deal. They sit there in church and then they start lusting or, or dreaming about having sex with another man's wife or they get caught up in porn or they start cheating in business and don't think anything of it or they get greedy or they become gossips or whatever. And so they have no no fear of God. They have no conscience because they've been lied to and told that no matter what they do, they're going to be saved. And so they don't they don't even know that don't realize they have to actually bear fruit. So they're being told that once they're planted in the vineyard, it's all settled for them. That that is eternal life no matter what. So this parable proves that after someone's been placed in the vineyard of God, which is like being saved and does not bear fruit in a reasonable time. He said three years, that could be a type and picture of just, it means long enough. Then what's going to happen? Going to be cut down. He's out of there. The Lord's done with him. In Hebrews 10, 26, we have the same kind. Of, we're still now in the New Testament. We're seeing now if what the Old Testament said agrees with the New Testament. So here in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 26, it says this. 
For if we go on sinning willfully, in other words, knowingly and intentionally sinning, after receiving knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, and that Greek word knowledge of the truth, it literally means to know God. It don't mean to know about God. It doesn't mean you've heard about God. It means you actually know God. So you now have the knowledge of the truth in you. You were, you now have it. You have salvation in you. You now have Christ in you. You now are, are born again. And now you go on sinning willfully after that. He said, after that, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, what was our sacrifice for sins? Jesus was the sacrifice for sins. He was there. He was there for us. He was for, for that person in his life. But now that, per, that, now that particular application no longer remains. That sacrifice for sins is gone because this person has continued and went back to willfully sinning. So that sacrifice is no longer a, a, a valid for him. Here, but instead of the sacrifice for sin, here's what he can expect. Verse 27. But a certain expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's the law. Under the law, if you broke it, you were dead. But get, get this factor, he said. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? How did he do that? And has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Was means was before, was in the past, was when he was saved. He was sanctified, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He is now trampled underfoot the Son of God. And he has trampled underfoot the blood of Christ. How do you do that? By willfully continuing to sin after being saved. And, that, and he also has insulted the spirit of grace. Well, what is grace saying? Grace says to repent. Grace says to, to live righteously and godly in this present age. It says to avoid all worldliness and all sin. Grace is speaking to us. He has insulted the spirit of grace of God by continuing to sin. So verse 30 sums it up. He says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. See, his people are under judgment when they go on willfully sinning. And I, you know, you've heard the saying before, well, no one can pluck you out of the hands of God. Well, that's true. No one can pluck you out of the hands of God. And it says in verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In this case, the person would wish he could be plucked out of the hands of God because of judgment and the wrath of God is on him because after becoming a Christian, he willfully continued to sin. And all it was left was a terrifying, terrifying judgment that was coming. Jesus explains this even further. John 15, he said, I am the vine and my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me, in other words, every branch in Christ, every human in Christ, in Christ means you're saved. You can't be in Christ unless you're saved. You know, if you're not in Christ, <laughs> you're not saved. So if you're in Christ, you are saved. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. He cuts it off. 
And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. In other words, stay with me. Don't fall away. Continue with me. Bear fruit as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Well, that's understandable. We cannot do it on our own. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse six, in verse six, he says though, if anyone does not abide in me, that is after he's already in him, after he's already in Christ, after he's already saved, if he doesn't abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. And see, once they're burned, you see, that's like, that's like hell. That's, that's like they're burned up. That's what's going to happen if we don't abide in him and bear fruit. He also said, Jesus also said in Matthew 24, here's another condition of salvation. He said in verse 24, verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 10, he said, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And if you go into the Greek and look that word up, it says many, it means multitude upon multitude. So here's what we have today. Multitude upon multitude of false prophets. And I'm just going to tell you, virtually every pastor out there, virtually, I'm not saying there's not one or two rare cases where a guy is just a good heart. He's doing the right thing. He just doesn't know better. But you can read it in my book. The paid pastor is the hireling that Jesus says is not his shepherd. Paid pastors are lying to their members for the money and for the numbers, for their career, for making themselves look good. And they're tickling ears and they're telling people false concepts about salvation. So, this many is multitudes upon multitudes of false pastors and shepherds that are rising and are misleading many multitudes upon multitudes today. And, he, and, he, and Jesus even went on to say in verse 12, he said, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Well, that's what we have today. We have a whole American society that's falling apart. People are hating one another, murdering one another, killing one another, road rage, you know, men murdering their wives and mothers murdering their children. And there's no end to the violence and the hatred and the despising that's going on from our government all the way down to it's in the church as well. Brother hating brother, gossiping, slandering, jealousy, uh, anger, angry tempers, bad attitudes. It's all over the place. The church is no different than the world. So here we have. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 13. Condition of salvation. Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. If you don't endure to the end, you will not be saved. I don't care if you got a good start. I don't care if you believe in Jesus. I don't care if you obeyed him for 20 years. If you turn away, fall away, fall into sin, give it up, you will not be saved. So, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Jesus is the word of God. The word of God is the Old Testament. The word of God is the New Testament. The principles are the same all across the board. If you don't endure to the end, you won't be saved. If you fall away, he will forsake you. It's the same thing everywhere. 
So it's obvious that there are many exceptions in the Bible to the statement that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Of course, the problem is never with the faithfulness of God, but it is with the unfaithfulness of men. So it's not unconditional eternal security, but each promise has conditions that must be met or a man cannot be saved in the end. We only have assurance of salvation if we repent of sin and we do not practice sin any longer. I'm not saying you can't stumble to make a mistake and somehow sin unintentionally. And I've covered that in my book. But I'm talking about willful and intentional sin. Nobody accidentally commits adultery. Nobody accidentally gets into porn. Nobody, nobody unintentionally does these kinds of things. Nobody unintentionally steals or lies or cheats in business or whatever. These things are all with intention. They're schemed, they're planned, and they, they're done intentionally. This is what will send you to hell, is intentional sin. So we only have assurance of salvation if we repent of intentional sin, do not practice intentional sin any longer, and continually obey God and be found faithful until the end. It says in 1 John that the one who's born again does not practice sin. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.